Well, good morning, Grace. It's good to be together this morning. Uh, Isn't it amazing to have the freedom and the desire and the opportunity to come together and worship the Lord together? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know about you, but there is, uh, there's a reason that Scripture tells us that we're uh, not to forsake the coming together, uh, that we are uh, to take advantage of this time to build, or build one another up as we focus our attention on the Lord. Uh, I feel like I need to get something out of the way. I'm going to do this rather quickly, but um, some of you may be aware that there's a football game this evening. <laughs> and there was... Um, there might have been somewhat of a prophecy a couple weeks ago, and, and I just want to say it's unfortunate for some of you that purple will not be there tonight. Okay, I know some of you just felt like that was a jab, you know, that was, that was painful. Um, so what I'm going to do is hopefully maybe ease your pain a little bit. Uh, so this isn't everybody. A few people got together and, and thought about, like, who's rooting for who this evening? And there's a map that shows uh, possibly what that may look like. Um, <clears throat> So you may notice Northern California would be for San Francisco 49ers, and then Missouri as well as Kansas, both. You know, it's right on the line. Uh, Maybe rooting for the um, Kansas City Chiefs. For those that may not know, the gray represents those that are saying, is there a way that both can lose? Okay. (laughs) Okay. I did not mention Taylor Swift at all, but it was brought up here. (laughs) Um, but, you know, whether or not your team is there tonight, um, there's going to be a lot of cheer. I know there's going to be a lot of rooting, rooting on, and, and there's something beautiful about that, but I really thought that this game tonight can be an incentive for us to do something even greater this morning. And there was, there was one that we are not ashamed of. His name is Jesus Christ, and we do this at water baptisms, but, like, why wait? I think it'd be great if we take this opportunity right now to raise a cheer of praise and of thanksgiving and of excitement, a yelling, shouting, cheering for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Uh, so, yes? Okay. Amen. That was really good and a wonderful warm-up. But I think we should really lift up a cheer. Thanksgiving and praise, pouring out our best for the Lord. Could we? Let's, let's praise him. Let's exalt him. He is worthy. Amen. Amen. That is the best cheering that's going to happen today. No, seriously, because this is, this is cheering for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who is already victorious. There's not a question whether or not he wins. He has won, and we are on his team, so we are therefore winners. Amen? Amen. So, you know, it is great when you're with people that are on the same team or cheering for the same team. There is something that, that rises up. And for those at home, I hope you were standing up during that time. If not, bring in a late cheer, okay? You know, and... But, but there, there's something about connecting with people that are on the same team. And what we're desiring as we walk through this series is for us to grow in such confidence, such excitement, a deeper knowledge and deeper experience of the gospel of Jesus Christ that whether we are with team members or not, we will cheer 
for him. We will proclaim him. We will carry the good news of Jesus Christ wherever we are, uh, whenever, to whomever he would lead us. And that's what it's about, being unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our theme verses are taken from, from Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation who? to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For it's in the gospel that the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous or the just will live by faith. And this is the anchor verse. This is what we're standing on as we go through the study uh, of the book of Romans. And I trust that this is going to just go deeper and deeper in your heart, that you, you will look and see and experience the power of God in, 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 in that salvation, that gospel that you have, and stand firmly that your righteousness is not in anything you do or don't do, but it's based in faith, your belief, your confession of Jesus Christ. And last week has been shared from the second half of chapter two. There were w- wonderful points that were brought out, but the one that really struck me and stuck with me throughout this week especially was this, is that, that how we carry his name may cause others to curse him. How we carry his name may cause others to curse him. And as I was walking through the week, I was thinking like, how am I carrying his name right now? Like for people that are looking on and seeing my life, am I bringing glory and honor to the King of Kings or am I bringing, uh, bringing disgrace to his name? Now listen, it doesn't all ride on us. People are gonna have to see through us in order to find him, but they should be able to see him in us in greater and greater ways. So I can't do that on my own, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can grow in not just listening, but learning to live out the truth of this gospel. So allow what's being shared on Sunday mornings to become application to your life. Just literally, if there's one thing that you hear, let the Holy Spirit just drill it deep in your heart and then apply, walk it out through this week. So we're looking forward now to uh, jumping into the next series of scriptures and we're in chapter three. We're starting with chapter three verses and one through 20. Uh, And as we step into this, uh, this passage I'm just going to ask if you would pause with me and let's go before the Lord together and ask uh, for him to speak to each one of us, his word that he desires for us to hear. And God, we thank you once again for this time. We thank you that, uh, that we can come and we can be excited about you, uh, that together as members of the family of God that uh, we can rejoice and we can celebrate, God, who you are and who we are in you. Uh, God, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for the gift of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would lead us together, God, to allow your word to speak deeply to us. We know that your your word promises that it won't return empty, but it will will accomplish what it was sent to do. And God, we want our hearts to be prepared. So God, soften our our hearts. Pray that you would open our minds. God, give us ears that are are hearing and are attentive to your word. God, help us to see the truths that you would have us to see. And Lord, I pray that we would not only be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers, that by your spirit, by your power, that we would walk in obedience to your word. Uh, So God, we just say simply, God, have your way among us. God, lead my words. Uh, Let your word ring true. And I pray, Lord, that you would, again, accomplish in us what you desire for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title that I have for today's uh, teaching is a little bit different. It's No to Know. No, N-O to know, K-N-O-W. Okay, no to no. So you're going to understand how that unpacks as we go through uh, the teaching this morning. 
But I'd like to begin by sharing uh, something that Joel and I have just recently entered into, and it, there's this interest in Mount Everest and those that climbed Mount, Mount Everest. We followed a story of, of a specific group that had climbed uh, Mount Everest, and it's an amazing thing. And as uh, I've looked at, I've studied some and gotten a little information, I want to share a little bit with you. Uh, so Mount Everest is the tallest, the highest elevation on the planet, 29,029 feet above mean sea level. There is a higher mountain from base to top, but it is the highest elevation on the planet. Uh, it's an amazing thing. There's uh, a little less than 7,000 people that have ever reached the summit uh, of Mount Everest. Uh, the cost to do that climb is between thirty dollars and $60,000. And it consumes approximately two months on average, between seven and nine weeks to do the entirety of the climb. Um, as I said, there are a little under 7,000 people that have reached it. Success rate is between 60 and 70% of those that try it. So there are many that never, never reached, reached the summit. Uh, not only that, there are many that, whose lives have ended in the attempt. Over 300 people have died on the mountain, and approximately 200 uh, people are still buried in that icy mountain. Uh, so, I mean, there's incredible uh, cost that goes with this. It's uh, of everything, financially, time, uh, especially physical energy. One of the things that was really interesting to me, there's certain times that are best to climb, and crowds are an issue and can, can actually be dangerous uh, going up and coming down from the summit. But for some reason, I don't, well, I do know why now. I kept thinking, what would it be like to expend all that energy, that time, that money, and get to the summit and instead of seeing the beauty from that highest elevation on earth, what would it be like to only see darkness? And it was just bizarre that I even was thinking this. And then it led me to, to find somebody named Eric Weinmayer. And Eric, on May 25, 2001, became the first blind person to ever reach the summit of Mount Everest. Think about that. I mean, to go through all that and not have the view. But yet... He experienced just that presence of being there, and his senses were, are different than, than ours as far as more, um, more alert and keen in certain ways, but yet to be on the highest elevation of the earth and see blackness. But this man, as I, as I looked at him a little bit, he, uh, he's actually a seven-summit seven climber. There's only about 150 people in the world that have climbed seven summits, so I think it's the highest peak on each continent. Um, but he's not only done that, he's kayaked the Grand Canyon, he's done all kinds of things, but he's truly an inspirational man. In fact, uh, he, has, he has started not just an organization, but a movement, and, and that movement is called No Barriers. And No Barriers is uh, it's a concept that he promotes, he's a motivational speaker, he's been on tons of stages with, with world-renowned people and had opportunities to speak to, to large companies, but his whole concept is No Barriers, and one of the mottos that he embraces is this, What's within you is stronger than what's in your way. And these, these are really incredible things and motivational things and inspiring things that when you face the, the, the tough things, there's, there's something that you can push through. Well, I hope that you've been inspired by this, but this type of inspiration is not where today's passage leads. But there is inspiration. So what I want to just set up this course of this time as we go through these 20 verses together is, is this. Is that instead of seeing no barriers, we are going to see significant, impossible barriers today. We're going to see God reveal barriers that we cannot overcome. And it's important as we walk through this text that we allow our eyes to see just how insurmountable these barriers are. Now, uh, for the no to know, it's important that you wait to the no. 
Okay, the second no. Um, if, you, if you have to leave early, you better pick up the message because later because you need the end, okay? This is so critical. It's so important. But here's the thing, that there are, there are heights that are higher than Mount Everest that are for us to view and experience. And God is desiring to lead us to see and to experience things further and greater than what we can imagine. So are you ready to jump into today's passage? Okay. Maybe a little, not quite as much as I was cheering earlier. But, but this is the word of God, and let's embrace it. I want to encourage you. Uh, I'll have the scripture up on the screen, but it, it would be, certainly be helpful if you also have it in front of you, if you want to pull out a device uh, or your uh, scriptures in other forms uh, this morning. So we're going to begin Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Paul is saying this, right, writing to the church in Rome. What advantage, then, is there in being a Jew Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. So these first four verses uh, are coming out of chapter 2, where we were hearing, if you remember, that it was sounding like there really wasn't any advantage for the Jews. Yes, they had the law. Yes, they were given circumcision. But these were outward things. If you remember, it it was saying that these aren't the answer. Um, what, What really matters was circumcision of the heart. There's an inner work, an inner transformation that needs to happen. So, I mean, it's, it's a really reasonable question that Paul would then, then present here. So, is there any advantage? What advantage, then, is there in being a Jew? Or, or what value is there in circumcision? So, so as he brings this to, um, to the church in Rome, he answers it with an exclamation. Much in every way. Now, what we'll see is that there are five exclamations through the 20 verses that we're looking at today, and they're exclamatory, exclamatory, there it is, uh, responses to questions that are being asked. And what he's saying is, now, there there weren't exclamation points in the original uh, text. In fact, uh, when the original text was written, there weren't... um, there weren't spaces in between words. There was no punctuation. Uh, so what happened is that over the years, that translators, as they dug into it, they had to, had, had to discern what was being said and then add punctuation based on the, the rules of grammar and things like that so that we could understand what was being said. But it was clear from the original text that, that this was something that Paul was speaking boldly. They, they understood from the text that these were questions that he was posing, that he was asking, and he was giving this, these strong answers. So he was saying very clearly here with strong words, yes, there is advantage. Well, what is the advantage? The first advantage that he gives, and it's the only one that he lists, he doesn't go on and list other advantages, but he says this, that much in every, in every way, first of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. Some translations say the oracles of God. This is an advantage The Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. Then he goes on to say that God's faithfulness and his truth is unchanging. So that leads us to our first no, our first N-O, and this. There's no error. There's no error. The word of God is absolutely perfect, and it does bring privilege in having it. The word of God is perfect. There is no error in the word of God. And there is a privilege, there's an advantage when we we have the opportunity to hold, to embrace the word of God. So the Jews were recipients of God's very word. They were given the history of creation. They They were given over and over again 
God's interaction with mankind. They were given the story of the calling of Abraham, who would become the father of, of the Jewish nation. He would become the father of all who believe. They were given these numerous interactions with, of God with individuals, of God with, with his chosen people, of God with nations. They were given the word of God that brought the prophecy of God forth, foretelling of things that were to come. They were given the privilege of having the very word of God. But with privilege, there's advantage, and there's also responsibility. That when we're given the privilege of having the word of God, there's also a responsibility. And as we heard last week, it's not just about listening, it's about living. It's not just about hearing, it's about doing. And what, what Paul does in this passage, when you look at it, he's, he's again saying that there's no error in the word of God, and then he uses the word of God, he uses Old Testament as he's going down through here. And this is the first time he uses it in verse four, where he says this, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. He's speaking a quote that David said to God. And this is from Psalm 51.4. And you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, David's failure and, and his confession then before God and the forgiveness that came. Well, Psalm 51 is written about, uh, about his confession and him being made right with God after doing horrible sins. So here he's speaking to God and he says, you know, against you and you alone have I sinned. And then he makes the statement to, about God so that, and to God, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. So this is the first of many references that we're going to have as we look at, at Paul bringing the Old Testament out here as he brings the message that he's called to bring to the Romans. Here's a question the very word of God that we've been entrusted with. As American Christians, do we hold it dear? Do we embrace it? Do we desire, above all things, to walk in the light of its truth? And friends, I'm not, as I'm asking these questions, oh my goodness, I, I hope that you're not feeling any sense of condemnation or being put, put down, but I'm telling you, as I'm asking these questions, I too am con continuing to be convicted. We've been entrusted with the very word of God. It's a privilege. Are we carrying that word as a privilege? Passion Conference, we've seen uh, some worship from there. Uh, it was held at the beginning of last month, Passion 2024 in Atlanta, Georgia. And there was part of Passion that we're gonna step into today. And it was the opportunity for, for a, tr a translation to be produced of scripture that had not been produced before. It was for a, a people group in Peru uh, called the Amaras. And literally, in Atlanta, the scripture was printed. And then it was taken by plane to Peru, to a church, where this is the first time that they've received the word of God translated in their own primary language. And what we're going to do right now is just uh, by video, we're going to step in and watch the delivery of the word of God to the Amara people in Peru. As you looked at that, I hope you saw the love for the word of God that was being expressed. And I, I'm sure you noticed that was not a full Bible that they received. In fact, it was 12 scripture verses. And yet they were overwhelmed with thanksgiving that the word of God was now in their hands in their own language. Well, by God's grace, much of the world has received or has available the word of God in their own language. There's still over 3,000 
languages that, that still need translations. Um, by God's grace, there are many that are called and are working on bringing those translations to others, to the people in the world that need it. But here's a sad fact, is that about 97% of the world has availability of the scripture in their own language. At least some portion of scripture, 80% of the world has scripture available in their own primary language. And yet, how are we handling it? Do I value this book and the word of God the way that those people from Peru value 12 scripture passages? Friends, I I just, I don't want this to sound condemning because this is God's calling for us to seek him in his word. His word is without error. It's perfect. And as we possess it, we have privilege. And let me tell you this, is that how much we value it can be seen in how much we go to it. How much time we look at it. And right now, literally, I hit this app and my phone is dying. No. Uh, (laughs) But I can hit this app and version comes up on my phone and I can find multiple translations just at a fingertip like that. But yet, how much easier is it to scroll and to see a post on Facebook or to pull up a YouTube video? Friends, I'm not saying that there's things wrong with that. But yet, I know I was convicted. One day this week, I had a really long day and I I went home and, and to chill, and, and, and there's proper times to chill. Please don't get me wrong, but like I was convicted by God in a right way is that for me to find rest and reflection and to just kind of zone out a little bit, I was just clicking through YouTube videos. They weren't bad. There weren't, it was, it wasn't anything wrong with them, but you realize that just one click away was the word of God. I want to be hungry for this word that is without error. I want to grow in my, in my dedication and my searching after. Like even in, as I've, just, I've been thinking this week, you know, it's food for my life. Will I seek the word of God? Friends, please don't allow this to, to, to bring on you a weight of condemnation, but allow it to be a call of the Holy Spirit that God just wants us to come, come away with him. He's speaking to us. He's speaking to us. His word is speaking. It's not if he will speak. He has spoken and is speaking. Will I hear? I'm better for it when I do. You're better for it when you do. So will we go to the word of God? Will we treasure it? Will we embrace what God is saying to us? There's no error in the word of God. We've been entrusted with his perfect word. So now based on his word, we're gonna move forward through this passage the next uh, scriptures, beginning with, with verse 5, say this. But if our righteousness brings out God's, God, I'm sorry, if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I'm speaking as, as a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is just. So the argument that that Paul's bringing here, the questions that he's bringing out, is like if the righteousness of God is amplified, it's seen more clearly through people's unrighteousness, then how can a just God punish people for doing wrong? I mean, that's just simplifying it. Basically, he's saying people could be saying, 
we're helping God look better by doing wrong. That's the logic that's being presented here. And the response is clearly Paul's exclamation, certainly not. So we have no error in the word of God. The word of God is our foundation. And here we have that there is no excuse. That wrong is always wrong. Always. Wrong is always wrong. Always. We can't make excuses. We can't justify what is wrong. When scripture says it's wrong, it's wrong. And God calls things wrong that are bad for us. That's how, that's how things are determined because God's a holy God and he puts a measuring stick and it's not, not just an arbitrary selection of rules and regulations. God is telling us what's good for us, what is best for us. He's our creator and he knows. And what he gives us is for our good. What is wrong is wrong and it's always wrong. So Paul's, obvious, Paul's presentation here may seem uh, kind of obvious, but yet here's the way we can apply it to our, li- our lives, the logic we can use. We look at end results and we often justify of how we got there. Are you tracking with me? We can look at end results and then we can justify how we got there because the end's okay even if the path is wrong. So you got to church on time this morning, but you broke the speed limit coming. <laughs> That's a small thing, okay? But <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't want to minimize it. <laughs> Maybe God's speaking conviction to you. But the end doesn't make what was done wrong right. Wrong is wrong. Getting a little more personal and deeply. I wasn't con- completely truthful with that person, but their feelings didn't get hurt. You see how we can do the same thing? How we can, can almost try to justify what we're doing wrong because of a good, what we think is a good outcome. How about this? No one saw me do it. I was in private. So was it really wrong? Wrong is always wrong. Always. We have no excuse. The man's wrong isn't justified even when it reveals God's righteousness. An example that I read was was Judas. Think about this. Judas was used to fulfill prophecy. It was through Judas' betrayal of Jesus that he was put on trial and that he was crucified. God used Judas as a tool to accomplish salvation for the world. He was still one who betrayed It does not make the actions right, but God can use even wrong things to bring good things about. We see it in the life of Joseph. What you intended for evil, God used for good. But it doesn't make the wrong right. Wrong is wrong, always. So we often try to get ourselves off the hook. I think what Paul is saying here is leave yourself on the hook. Just admit it. Wrong is wrong. There's no excuse. Now we move on to this passage that's going to dive into multiple quotations from the Old Testament. So we're going to begin with verse 9 in this section. And it says this, What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. So wait, okay, this sounds like contradiction, doesn't it? The beginning, is there any advantage at all? Of course, you've been given the word of God. Now he's saying, what should we conclude? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. But he's asking different questions. And here, does this advantage that you've been given, given the word of God, does it, does it make you any different from anybody else? Bottom line, no. 
No, we're all, Jew and Gentile, are all under the same judgment because we have all sinned and we're all proven wrong. So there's not contradiction. In fact, there's support when we look at the two of these together. Both are true. And here's what it's saying is that, that alike we are all under the power of sin. That literally means that we're under the weight of it. We're in bondage. We're in slavery to sin. This is a barrier, a huge barrier, an eternity-affecting barrier, a life-affecting barrier. And we are all under the power of, of sin. So Paul's going to go now in this next section, he's going to give us multiple passages from the Old Testament, primarily from Psalms, but from other books of the Old Testament as well. And he's quoting the Old Testament. Now, what, it, what we want to do as we look down through it is, is look for certain things. One is that it clearly states that it's everybody. Everybody. Okay? Hear that as we read down through it. It's completely inclusive. They're hard words. Nothing's candy-coated. Paul's shooting hard, but he's quoting Scripture, Scripture in which there is no error. And finally, Wearsby says this, Paul gave us an x-ray study of the lost sinner from head to foot. <laughs> and literally, you'll see it as we go down through this passage, that, that it's, it's every part of us is, is broken. Starts at the head uh, with the understanding, goes down uh, through our body to our feet, and then back uh, to our head. So here, we're going to pick up in verse 10, and where, where Paul says this, he's quoting Old Testament, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have become, they have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their thoughts are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their, paths, mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. As we hear this, are we assured that there is no exception? that there is no exception. Apart from Christ, everyone is bad, really bad. No exception. Apart from Christ, every one of us, all, without exception, are bad. Not just bad, really bad. I'm not saying this lightly because this is heavy. And I think we need to make sure that we're applying it to ourselves now, this is, again, before we come to Christ. This is not in contradiction to freedom in Christ and the I am statements that we've, that we've looked at and we've shared before. This is apart from Christ. This is us. So I want to personalize it, and I could have personalized it by saying you, but instead, including myself, without exception, I'm going to read this from the I standpoint. And maybe you'd be bold enough to do the same. I am not righteous. I, am, I do not understand. I do not seek God. I have turned away. I have become worthless. I do not do good. My throat is an open grave. My tongue practices deceit. The poison of vipers is on my lips. My mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. My feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark my ways in the way of peace I do not know. There is no fear of God before my eyes. Do I believe this to be true of me before I've come to Christ? We've been saying this and we're going to continue to say it is that we don't realize how badly we need a cure until we realize how sick we are. 
I'll tell you this, the gospel has become more precious to me this week as I've allowed the Holy Spirit to bring greater revelation to how bad I am apart from Christ. Who I have been saved from, me. What I have been saved from, what I do, what I don't do. There's no error in scripture. This is all true. Without exception, apart from Christ, we're bad. It's only God's grace and mercy that has caused us to be any different than this. And when we look at a world, we can wag our fingers and say, look at the world, how terrible it is. And we often do. In fact, we're shocked by the world, the condition of the world. Should we be? Because apart from Christ, we're there. And so many times we can set ourselves apart. And, and as we've talked about already in the series, like we can stand in judgment. The reality is that apart from Christ, we're there. Without exception, we are there. Two more verses. Verses 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. I want to read these two scriptures again. And I believe that God would lead us to silence before him. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that speaking to those who are still by their own strength, by their own wisdom, by their own power, attempting to live in God's way. Whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Have you ever thought about what excuse you may make when you stand before God? Or what argument you may speak before the Almighty? It's helpful for me at times to literally sit myself before God and allow his pure, holy gaze to penetrate my being. And I'm silenced. I'm silenced before him. hard for me to speak right now because silence can do what words can't. And can I tell you for me the fear of silence before God can be an obstacle and a hindrance to prayer and to time in his word. Let me explain that. That when I go to prayer it's a whole lot easier for me to keep talking 
than it is to listen. And that's often for fear of what I think he might say. God, forgive me. Do I trust that he is good? Do I trust that he is kind? Do I trust that he is merciful? Do I trust that he is full of grace and and love? That he is love? And yet, in my humanness, I'm hesitant to be silent before my creator. And yet, there's such health in that. The word. Why is it that we may avoid going to the word as we know God's calling us to? It's often because of what the silence does to us. Because when we read the word and we say, God, speak to me. He does. And it's often... I want to be careful with this. It's sometimes painful. Did you notice how I needed to change that? Because so often we do that very thing. Is we think, if, I, if I'm quiet before God, he's going to beat me up. No, he will speak a hard word. And with that, he knows what we need. He's also going to speak words of affirmation and confirmation of who he is and who I am in him. And yet my failure or my resistance to be silent before him presents me from hearing what I need to hear. And it's for fear because I think I'm going to need to justify myself. I'm going to need to make excuses. I'm going to realize that I'm not an exception. You know? But yet we are called to be silent before him. The whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, incredibly important statement. Therefore, no one can be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. This is such an important truth and statement, and it's, it's going to be stated in other ways as we go through, through Romans. and stated uh, very clearly in other writings of, of the New Testament Here's the purpose of the law. It is not justification. It is not to be made right before God. It's to make us aware, conscious of our sin. The law is not our savior or our salvation. It cannot be what it's not intended to be. It is to make us conscious of our sin, that we are under the weight, the power of sin. That's the purpose of the law. So what does that bring, bring us to? That there's no exemption There's no exemption. Everyone is guilty under sin's weight. Everyone. We have a little problem here. I don't know if you've realized it. I've run out of verses and I'm still in no. I'm still in the N-O. So there is something that is redeeming. There's something that is exciting. And here's this. As remember, we talked before about chapter breaks were put in uh, by translators. They, they, they were put in for referencing purposes. And we put as pastors um, groups of scriptures together so that we could teach. And the thing is, is that we are huge. It's been said many times here that Context 
helps us understand content. It's what comes before and it's what comes after. We've already looked at what's come before, so we're going to bleed into next week a little bit, friends. Is that okay? So we're going to look after because we cannot stop here. We need to be here. We need to realize just how lost and how undone we are apart from Christ. And we're going to look at the next two verses. There's a sneak peek to next week. It's a start, but it's also going to be how we wrap up and we move from no to no. Okay? So, verses 21 and 22. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. So here we move from N-O-N-O to K-N-O-W, and it is this. It is simply know Jesus. Yes, yes. Friends, we cannot, we cannot over-understand or overstate how lost we are apart from him. Therefore, we cannot begin to comprehend or to embrace the reality of who we are in Christ. That all of the sin of the past, all of the lostness, all of the things that, that I've done wrong, all that I have been and, and things that I have done and failed to do are taken care of through faith. Remember the foundational verses. It's that righteousness of God is imparted to us by faith to everyone who will believe. So we had to go to verses 21 and 22. We had to get to this place where it's about knowing Jesus, knowing that he has died for you, for your sin, for me, for all of the world. His death on the cross is sufficient to cover, to pay the penalty for every sin ever, that ever has been committed or ever will be committed. And knowing Jesus Knowing Jesus is the answer. Having life in him. We are made righteous. Now we can stand before God. We are made righteous. We are made perfect before him. We can believe and we can receive the cleansing of Jesus that literally removes our transgressions, our sins, from us, removed from us as far as the east is to the west. Never to be remembered against us anymore. While they may be in our memory and while there may even still be consequences, they are not going to be held against us ever by the God of all creation because of Jesus Christ and faith in him. It's this gift that he gives us. It's his grace. Now when I stand before God, I'm silenced, but it's because I'm in awe that I can be in his presence. And the one thing that I want to say, the one thing I want to say before God Almighty is simply Jesus. It's in him. It's through him that I'm made right, and God looks at me and he sees the righteousness of God in Christ. Now here's the thing, is that verses 10 through 18, prophetic words of the Old Testament, speaking of who we are apart from Christ, we're gonna now reverse those, okay? So it's like playing a country song backwards. You, know, you find your dog, you get your job back, you get, you get back with your spouse, and you probably stop drinking. Okay, so, so we're going we're gonna to read these verses from the bottom up, and I'm, I'm gonna, I've now put in other, I've put other responses. These, the, they're written, again, for us apart from Christ. I want to now read them for us with Christ. So I'm literally going to start 18 and work up to 10. I embrace that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and I fix my eyes on him. My feet are fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, 
beautiful on the mountains as I proclaim salvation and therefore declare our God reigns. From my mouth pours blessings, exhortations, praise, and the love of the Almighty. My tongue is set on fire by the Holy Spirit. And what I was not able to control, my tongue, is now submitted to his divine power. Instead of speaking death, I speak eternal life. I turn to God and I find my infinite worth to be in him. My purchase through the death of my Lord. I do good so that people will see my good works and glorify my Father who is in heaven. I seek the Lord with all my heart and I find him. I lean not on my own understanding, but I acknowledge him. He directs my path. I am completely righteous in Christ. When God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ. I stand completely pure before the God of heaven. Instead of being silenced by sin, I lift my voice in praise to my Savior. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. The greatest barriers in the world are not mountains or rivers or any natural obstacles. Greatest barriers in the world are man's slavery to sin and to self. And in Christ, by faith, and only in Christ, we win. We overcome. So here's what I would speak to you. There may be something in your heart stirring to climb Mount Everest and to reach the highest summit on this planet. If it is, go for it. I want to hear your story. But here's something, a charge that I want to give to all of us today. Don't set your eyes on Mount Everest. It's too low. It's too low. The heights of the earth are nothing compared with the glory of heaven. God wants us to experience no barriers. But it's not by something I can stir up in myself or a strength that I can find deep in my soul unless it's him. He lives in me. He desires for whatever barrier I'm facing to be overcome in the name of Jesus. He desires for me to be a victor with him in the name of Jesus. He desires for me to be free from that which has had me bound in the name of Jesus. I want to read from you the first few verses of Colossians. You say this, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Mount Everest is too low. We are called to be seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And he's calling all without exception. There's no excuse for us not to respond. There's no reason for us to say that we're exempt from the gospel of Jesus Christ changing us, giving us life, lifting us up, giving us power, setting us free, making us his trophies. Friends, we have something to cheer about. Better than anything this world can give because we are cheering 
about Christ in us, the hope of glory. If you have not embraced him, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you are still under that list. You're still under that weight of sin. And God has called you here today or you're joining us online because he has an appointment with you to be set free in the name of Jesus. Simply by confessing and believing. Confess your sin, your need of Christ. Confess that what he has done on the cross is for you. As you accept and you you receive his forgiveness, you are made a new creation. You are no longer your own. You've been bought with a price and your life becomes his. You are a new creation in Christ. And all of a sudden, all those things, verses 10 through 18, are gone. Jesus Christ. God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this transformation. Thank you, Lord, that this is true. Your word is without error. God, we thank you, Lord, that you lead us to this place where we realize that we're without excuse. God, we're, we're without exception or exemption. God, in you, Jesus Christ, we have life and we have life eternal. God, help us to rely on you, to turn to you, to trust in you, to embrace you. We thank you, Lord, that it's you who puts this in our hearts to do this very thing. So in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Would you please stand as we sing this song of declaration to our Lord.